Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week of Real Personal Finance. It's the best day of the week. It is, man. I'm excited. Personal finance. Me too. I'm excited. Especially today. Especially today, because I really do think that today is the day we start to change personal finance for the U.S. Big, it's a big day. You're not kidding when you say that. I think is I'm not. Word. I'm not. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is we started announcing on the show a couple weeks ago. We said, "Hey, we love answering your questions, but we always have to answer with it depends." And we still will answer with it depends because this is an educational show and we're not your advisor. But we want to make it so that you all can get a better understanding, a better handling of your personal finances. Use some key elements, some key scores to create a scorecard for yourself so you can see how am I doing. You can monitor that on an ongoing basis. And today's the day we start doing that with listeners. Super stoked. I'm excited because you and I, Scott, we of course work with clients as their personal advisor, their personal financial planner. But the reality is you can only do that for so many people. You only have so many relationships you can help with before you start spreading yourself too thin and providing poor service. And we've always wanted to do more, but without ever sacrificing what we do. And in the podcast, there's tens of thousands of people downloading this every single month. And so we said, how can we take this a step further? How can we do more? And I'm going to share my screen in a second. And so also a shout out, if you have not already done so, check out our YouTube page, Real Personal Finance. There's a YouTube page, one, because we want another channel for people to be able to reach us, but two... We don't want to just talk theoretically about things. We actually want to start to show you some of the things Scott and I look at on our end as we're discussing planning points for different people. So check out YouTube. Real Personal Finance is the channel. And we're going to actually go through why that matters today. Yes, James and I were chatting about it. I was like, man, for three years, we've been telling people what to do. But as you and I both know, I can tell you to eat less and exercise more if you want to lose weight. But knowing and doing are different things. And so now we're going to start showing you how you can look at your finances and think through the next step you can take to improve your financial lives. So super excited to get this underway. And thank you for those who've reached out to have your questions answered. And if you want to have a question answered, just go to realpersonalfinance.co, submit a question. You can ask up to three questions in there. And what we'll do is we're going to ask you to fill out a scorecard so you can be on the show. Now, just to be clear, When we show info or names from now on, we are going to use anonymous names. So the names that you're going to see on data, that's not actually this person. We want to do everything we can to help people anonymous. We appreciate them for their questions. They will know who they are on the show, but you won't. So just, and if that helps you write in to get some help too, just know that we're happy to keep you anonymous. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with all that build up, shall we jump into the question and then the grand reveal? So this question comes from Bill and Bill wrote in saying that they love the show 
And it's helped my wife get more engaged in our finances and help foster great financial discussions for us. My question is about diversification. I recently purchased some shares of SoFi, and it didn't occur to me that I already have two different SoFi ETFs that I own as well. In total, SoFi assets I have are roughly equal to 33% of my portfolio. I don't have any SoFi interests in my Roth 401k at work. Am I too heavily invested in SoFi? Question mark. Or because of the bulk of my capital is in ETFs, am I okay from a risk perspective? My wife and I are both 26 and generally take an aggressive approach to investing at this point in our lives. Thanks for your show. We look forward to it each week. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Yeah. Well, this is what we're going to do. In the past, we'd start talking directly about the specific question. Yes. Diversification, the investment, kind of the crux of what he's asking. But you and I both know to really, truly get at the heart of what matters, it's helpful to have context. Yes. And context of some things that might seemingly be unrelated, but from our standpoint are completely related and completely applicable. So what I'm actually going to do, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see if you're listening to the podcast, go to the YouTube channel and you'll actually see this. I'm going to share my screen here. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to walk through this specific case together so we can see what we're looking at and we can start to show you how we might think about this. So Scott, can you see the screen here? I cannot yet. Okay. Any second, this should be coming up. Yes. Take your time. This is our first time doing this. So we expect to have hiccups along the way. Technical difficulties coming in. There it is. I see us forgot one button. Now I hit that button. There it now is. Now it should be good. I see Bill and Tina in front of me. Man, literally I have shivers going down my spine because this is when we're actually starting to change finance forever in the US. Go us. Our BHAG is real. Financial literacy across the nation. Okay, let's. should we start with their net worth? Let's do it. You want to walk us through this? Yeah. So I'm seeing some accounts. Can we scroll to the top and see what their actual net worth is? All right, cool. So I think Bill and his wife, Tina, we heard they're 26 and they currently have a negative net worth. And I just want to let listeners know that's really, really common, especially if you went to college, which it looks like they did based on the data that they sent in. So awesome. Here's the key. You know what your net worth is. I'm really proud of you. Seriously, because once you know where you are, you can look at the steps that you can take to improve from here. doesn't matter if you have 10 million bucks or a negative net worth. We all need to start somewhere. And let's not just look at that number, but let's look at the makeup of that number because this is going to lead to some of the things we're talking about. Yeah. So I think we saw about seven checking accounts and savings accounts. We saw that we have a couple of brokerage accounts. We have some HSA accounts, a 401k account. What else? And then we have some cars listed for assets. So total assets around... 37,000. Now, Bill did list his their cars. I would actually go back and say with when we work with clients, we prefer to list cars to be worth a dollar. So we mark that they're on the balance sheet, but we don't really mark them as having a value. And the reason why is because we usually use them to get us to and from work or out on trips and they depreciate. So we're not really going to look to, you know, if something goes really wrong in our financial lives, we're not going to look to turn those into cash. Does that make sense, James? Makes sense to me. Okay. You want to walk through debts? Yes, I sure do. And by the way, people who are looking at this, when Scott mentioned, hey, submit your question to the show, we'll send you the scorecard. This is the exact scorecard that everyone will have access to. So if you're interested in this, this could be your specific information. We won't get a chance to go through every single person's information that submits their question. 
but every single person who submits it will certainly get access to this. So just a plug for that if you do want to submit. And future forecasting, we kind of have a really cool idea in the works for a little VIP group for real personal finance listeners to uh, help hold each other accountable and get access to your own scorecards so you can monitor your own finances moving forward. Yep. And again, if you're listening to the podcast and cannot see what's in front of me, check us out at Real Personal Finance on YouTube. But what we're looking at is just a balance sheet. And so we looked at the assets and there's a whole bunch of different savings accounts, a couple different brokerage accounts. Yep. Now what we're looking at is liabilities. So yeah. there's what, maybe six, seven, eight or so, maybe nine different, relatively small individually, but student loans. Subsidized and unsubsidized student loans. I think the total around 56 grand. Yep. So, you know, net worth slightly negative, but it's largely because of student loans. Well, it's entirely due to student loans. Exactly. Yeah. So if there's no student loans, there's a positive net worth. Now we talked before about different types of debts that you can have, debt that's going to accelerate earnings potential or lead to greater earnings and debt that's just consumer debt that maybe won't. So as we look at this, we do also know Bill and Tina have combined household income about $107,000. And so that's where we start. We look at their balance sheet, we look at their income, and then we'll go to a scorecard. But anything else, Scott, you want to point out before we do so? No, that's it. Let's go look at the scorecard. The only thing I would say is kudos to them on investing in themselves. It's shown time and again that college degrees, as long as you go put that college degree to work, usually makes far more than you not getting the college degree. So good job. Yep. Great job. And now here's your scorecard. You want to? Yeah. So scorecards, we're going to break down in a fairly common way each and every time. We're going to focus on the first four items, which are savings rate. The current scorecards also has a thing called burn rate. Think of that as your spending, your monthly spending. I want it to be renamed living rate because it's a more positive way of put a frame on spending. The person who originally built this elements app worked with small business owners who understood the concept of a burn rate. When you're a business owner, you worry about how much cash do I have to burn before I go out of business. I think we can do a nicer connotation there. Then we have debt rate and tax rate. And all of those, what we're doing is, is we're saying how much is going in this account. Let's divide it by our annual income. So all of these are going to get divided by $107,000 for Bill and Tina. So they are currently saving 7% of their income. They are spending 38% of their income. Their debt rate is currently zero or dashed out. And my assumption is it's dashed out because the current government plan is that student loans are in deferment with no payment until the end of this year. And then the tax rate is 9%. Am I missing anything so far, James? No, I think, you know, as we look at this, this is just a snapshot. And again, we know this has nothing to do with stock diversification and my owning too much of this stock, but this very much matters because this is going to lead us to how does that tie in? Absolutely. But we've done even very recently, we've done episodes of why is it important to know where your income goes? Well, it's important because we can see here, Bill and Tina, they're saving 7%. Their tax rate is 9%. They're spending close to 40%, probably a tad bit higher because we can see here that not 100% of their income is accounted for. Yeah, but we're missing 46%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I want to know where the other 46% is going, Bill and Tina. Now, but to all you listeners at home, we, and I mean we, all of us, typically underestimate our living percent, like the burn rate percent, the amount we spend just week to week, month to month. We go on a trip and we forget to build it in there. That's that stuff. And to be clear for savings rate, savings rate stuff I'm saving for to either build assets for my long-term future, retirement savings, maybe it's saving for education, 
Maybe it's that HSA account. Maybe I'm saving for a down payment on a home. If we're saving for like, if James is going to take the family on a trip to Hawaii next year, even though he's technically saving, I would build that into my burn rate because that's really future consumption. It's not really a savings. Does that make sense, James? Makes sense to me. Absolutely. Well, hey, looking at this, you know, I see that 46% is missing. I want to know where is it going and why, one. But two, I'd want to know, like, are we saving enough for when the debt payments get turned back on? Right. And then if anyone wasn't paying attention last week, because I don't, well, this, I don't know when this will air. It'll air in a couple of weeks. But last week, something happened in the news around debt payments. What was that all about, James? So it's about student loans and some of them, depending on your income, being forgiven up to 10000 per person. Yeah. So Bill and Tina should definitely look into that. It wasn't clear to us if everything was Bill's or Tina's or if it's a combination of the two, but that 56000 based on your income numbers, it looks like could go down by either 10000 or $20,000 in forgiveness from the government. And then that would lower your monthly payments for the remaining amounts, which would be great. Right. So this debt rate, this is going to fluctuate a little bit. But as we're looking at this, we see, generally speaking, how much is going to savings, taxes, spending, debt, etc. Where does this flow next? So we start to understand how does their diversification or lack of diversification impact or get impacted by this? Yeah, let's go there next. I want to just say one more thing for a moment. And that's just that based on their current tax rate, you know, we've talked before, I think our very first episode was to Roth or not to Roth. And I think he mentioned he has a Roth 401k. And like, I think you and I would agree that it looks like they're going to be in a lower tax bracket right now. So saving two Roth accounts probably makes sense when you're in a situation like Bill and Tina's when you're in a lower tax bracket. Would you agree with that? Agree a hundred percent. And this is what it comes down to. Are you going to be in a lower tax bracket today or a lower tax bracket in the future? And the fact that Bill and Tina are 26 they're making six figures combined already. They're already putting aside some money already. As some of this debt gets paid off and raises happen, they'll be saving more and investing more. And they're clearly on top of their finances. If they're tuning into the podcast at 26, yes, they're probably going to be in a higher tax bracket in the future by nature of how much they're going to be saving and investing and growing those assets over time. Absolutely. I think honestly, the main way for Bill and Tina to grow their income right now is to invest in themselves. And it's to every Friday, have a little alarm go off and your work calendar that says, what did I do this week that goes above and beyond what I'm supposed to do at work? Write it down so that when you go do your annual reviews or your semi-annual reviews with your boss, you can speak to the fact that you are an overachiever who deserves 5 to 8% raises instead of 3% raises. Because if you do that now for the next few years, you will make more money in your lifetime than anything we can tell you to do on this scorecard. Yeah, absolutely. Love yeah. What else do you want to look at on the scorecard? We're going to ignore income rate for the time being because it needs time to kind of process that for people. So we'll do that at a different time. But if we think the assets that they have, we have liquid, what can they easily go touch, right? So cash, think of that as like checking savings accounts, brokerage accounts, and then we just divide it by what they need to live, their burn rate, because they don't have any debts. Then we have qualified term. That's what do they have for like, Think of any account that like has a tax deal with it. So HSAs, 401ks, and the like. And then real estate, doesn't look like they own any real estate currently because they are 26 and just out of school. Totally fine. And then we have total term. They currently have a slightly negative net worth. So they have a negative term. 
And that basically just means a few things. It means, can you click into liquid terms so we can kind of explain what it means on, we'll explain it verbally, but basically if we go click, they have about personal cash of 8,400 bucks and then the brokerage accounts, what? The brokerage accounts combined are about 3,700. 3,700 bucks. Okay. And then if we go hit that liquid term number, that 0.3 up top. So what this, all these terms are doing for you as listeners is they're kind of helping you gauge how am I doing relative to my annual living expenses. So, you know, Bill and and Tina have about 12 grand. I'm going to just round and they need to spend about 41 grand. So they have about, you know, 30% of a year's worth of savings in cash. And, you know, being 26, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, we've done episodes on this before. What's the right amount to have in an emergency fund? Depends on the person. And it depends on are you both working. It depends upon the stability of your job. It depends upon could you go get another job if something happened. But having, you know, three months or so set aside in cash, not a bad place to start at all. Right. And now we don't know, like, if you both work in jobs where it's feast or famine, right, where like your paycheck could literally turn off, well, we might want to push you to try to build that up more. If you're both working in jobs where like you can't get fired no matter what, I always say like a tenured professor, you're 26, so you're not a tenured professor, but if you were, (laughs) it'd be like, well, don't worry about having extra cash. You can't get fired. Like your job's going nowhere. And then there's everything in between. And that's how you figure out what's right for you. But having a 0.3 liquid term score looks pretty good to me. Yep, totally. So if I get back out of this and go to the dashboard, Anything else you want to look at here? I think probably the last one is equity rate, correct? Yeah. So, you know, we're not even going to go into insurance right now, but we noted that you already have term life insurance. Good for you. You know, if you're looking at having children in the near term, you might want to look at getting more while you're young because it's inexpensive. When you're young, we have past episodes on that. But yeah, let's let's just talk equity rate because that was the main question was around diversification. And so equity rate, what that's going to show is what percentage of your investments are in equity, which is stock. And in Bill's question was, I have SoFi stock and I have SoFi ETFs. Not only am I, we want to look at this two levels. What's the right overall equity allocation? How much to stocks in general? And then diversification within those stocks. Yep. Now, as we look at these here, from the accounts where Bill knows how much is in stocks, it's 100% stocks. Yeah. Given his age and time horizon, probably nothing wrong with that at all. It's told me he's comfortable with the uncertainty and ups and downs. To a specific question though, what about SoFi stock and SoFi ETFs? What would you say to that, Scott? Yeah. So I think those might be the ones that aren't categorized right now and that don't know. Do you want to hit that and just give it a hundred percent allocation? So what I would say, Bill, about your question that you wrote in about, about SoFi versus the SoFi ETFs and do I have enough diversification? You were kind of answering the question along the way. So your position in SoFi is actually relatively small compared to your overall investments. So what's the total amount? We have about 9,400 of investments currently. I think the SoFi position for you is about $140. So James nor I are, oh, I'm speaking for James right now. We're not concerned about your position in SoFi. The SoFi ETFs are, ETF means exchange traded fund. And what they're doing is they're investing in other stocks on your behalf. We looked at them briefly. It looks like the expense ratio on those is about 0.2%. So I didn't get a chance to look at it really, really deeply, but I'd want to know, like, are they just matching? Like there were two, one ticker was SPY and the other was, uh, pardon me, SFY and SFYX. SFY looked 
like it was going to try to mimic the S&P 500 to me, but I didn't get a chance to dive into it deeply. If that's what it's trying to do, you could probably do that at like Vanguard for like less basis points if you wanted to and just have more money in your own pocket. And then it looked like SFYX was trying to be basically what you could sometimes consider an extended market index. So again, you're all US, but it's mostly mid cap stocks and small cap stocks. So it's going investing in smaller companies than the other ETF is. But overall, you're largely diversified. You're just largely diversified to the United States versus having some global position. Yeah. Well, I think the important position or the important thing that you mentioned is a SoFi ETF doesn't mean that you're invested in SoFi. It just means SoFi is managing it. And Scott, to your point, you said there's a hundred something bucks in SoFi stock. That doesn't bother us. If that position was significantly larger and net worth was significantly larger, well, then it starts to bother you because you have to ask yourself the question, what happens if this does really poorly? Well, right now, worst case scenario is you're down about a hundred bucks or so. Right. But in the future, that's absolutely not going to be the case. So part of this is going to depend upon net worth and things like that over time. Yeah. What we're worrying about there, if we're worried at all, Bill, is this thing called concentration risk. And you really don't have it at this point in time. So not worried about you. The thing I would mention though, is I note that you have a good amount of funds in HSA accounts. See if you can invest those funds as well. If you can go ahead and do so, if you're not going to utilize them for medical expenses, because it's a wonderful way to grow assets at a younger age. And you can actually use it as a backup to your savings account. If you're tracking the expenses um, that you're paying out of pocket each year while you have an HSA, if a downturn did occur and you both needed, lost your jobs and you ran through your liquidity, the next place that you could tap would be saying, hey, HSA company, please give me my money back for all of these taxable receipts that I've kept. I would like that money out of my HSA account and you can get that tax-free, which is great. So it can kind of be a backup to your backup. Yep. Anything Absolutely. else you want to add? Yeah. The one thing I would add here is of these investments, the majority, well, the HSA is part of it, but then there's more in non-retirement assets than there are in retirement assets. So you see there's a Roth 401k here, which means that money is tied up for retirement. It's a great account. It's going to grow tax-free. We love it. We love how that works, but you're not going to touch those funds for retirement. If I go back to Bill's question about, am I too concentrated in SoFi stock or SoFi ETFs? No, if that money is long-term, it's well diversified. But if that's money that you know, say Bill and Tina are saving for a home or they're yeah. saving for something in a year, two years, three years, then I would maybe have some concern about the allocation just because being hundred percent stock means you're going to have wonderful long-term growth potential, but it means you're going to go for a ride when things are volatile, very much like they've been so far in 2022. Agreed. So as we're looking at that, I would just want to understand how do these joint accounts fit into your plan? Is this long-term? If so, not a whole lot of concerns. Now, could you increase the diversification? Yes, that's you're in all US stocks, it looks like. We've done other episodes about diversifying further. But in terms of being all stocks not concerned, it's more, are these investments allocated correctly for when you might need them? Absolutely, man. The only other thing I don't think we mentioned was we note that you have a stock plan, but we don't really know details about it. So if you have RSUs, you know, decide, you know, if, if I get paid compensation by my company, am I going to choose to go buy my company's stock? If the answer is no, you may just want to sell all and go reinvest elsewhere. But yeah, other than that, man, that was fun. And first pancake, and I think it went pretty well. Yeah, and if you're listening, Scott and I, we're just, we are trying to make this as valuable as possible. And the way we're doing that for this episode and some in the future, all in the future, a lot of it 
if you can watch, you're going to get a lot more out of this. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, but check us out on YouTube, Real Personal Finance. You'll see this. And as we're going through this, let us know what's helpful. Let us know what feedback, what's helpful, what's not, where can we go deeper? This isn't about Scott or I. We want to make this a way that we can provide, not advice, but provide almost just guidance at scale. help people understand how to do this on their own and also where to look on their own. So let us know, is this helpful? Is there something else that you could see us doing that would add even more to this? To that point, like you see a scorecard here if you go watch the channel or you heard us talk about one today. But what actually matters more so than the scorecard today is the change that happens on the scorecard over time, right? So I'm far more interested in what do Bill and Tina do to improve their scorecard and what pace at which did they decide to improve their scorecard? Then what is their scorecard today? What is their scorecard today is like, doesn't really tell me much. I mean, it, it helps me understand where the issues are and what we need to go deal with. But what we're most interested in is understanding who you are, what you want to do for yourself, and then how do you optimize your time, your money, your energy, and your talent and a way for us to help you monitor your money and your resiliency on your balance sheet is with the Elements scorecard. So thanks so much for your time today, guys. Please, please let us know what you think. We think this is going to be like, obviously revolutionary. We're going to change the US. We're going to finally be able to stop the show because we're going to make it so everyone's going to be financially literate, which is going to be amazing. Let's go. They won't go to other countries. Maybe we won't stop. Let's go somewhere else next. And go up to Canada. We'll have to learn a lot more. Yeah, we'll yeah. go to Canada, learn Canada tax law, go down to yeah. Mexico. We get to say go, a boat. Go to Europe. A whole yeah. lot. We can say a boat. So we'll, <laughs> after the US, it's the world. Awesome. Well, Bill, Tina, and again, Bill and Tina, that's not their real names. We want this to be personalized, but we don't want to reveal anyone's personal information. Yes. So you know who you are, Bill and Tina. Thank you very much. We'll send you an email privately. Thank you for being the first participant. We have a lot more in the queue, which we're excited to go through. And we will see you next time. Unless Scott, there's anything else you want to add? Nope. See you guys next week. Cool. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.